Today on Blue 58, with the Packers ready to hit the field against the Bengals in something resembling a real, actual football game, we should probably talk about what we should be watching. Here are a few things to keep your eye on this weekend. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am very happy to be with you here for another episode. Packers play preseason game on Friday night, if I am reading the schedule correctly, which has happened, well, occasionally I've read it correctly in the past. Occasionally I've also read it wrong in the past. But at least if you believe what they say at Packers.com, the Packers are playing the Bengals in a preseason game Friday night, which is exciting because that means that we're that much closer to a football game that actually counts, which means that we're close to working through the first month of the season when things are going to be sloppy for a while. You get what I'm saying. We're closing in on football that means something, and sooner or later, hopefully it'll look pretty good. In any case, I thought it would make sense to talk about what we should be watching in this first preseason game. And initially, this was just going to be a short little one-off segment ahead of the, the preseason game. What I wanted to talk about today was a, a roster prediction, working through exactly who I thought would be making the 53-man roster prior to actual game starting or preseason game starting. But as I worked through that prediction today, I realized things really haven't changed all that much from where we were in um, April or early May, whenever we did the last one after the draft. This roster is basically in pretty good shape in terms of who's going to be making it. There aren't many actual position battles. You think about like third string running back, uh, how many tight ends the Packers are going to keep if Josiah DeGuara is a fullback now. Talk about like wide receiver five or six, the eighth, ninth, and tenth offensive linemen. Inside linebacker, basically how many are they going to keep? Back end of the cornerback depth chart and back end of the safety depth chart. Basically everything else is pretty well locked in. So it's basically just pick your preference at a couple of those spots. You might put a guy like Bo Melton ahead of Grant DeBose at this point, just because DeBose hasn't really practiced to this point. But the point is, working through a prediction really doesn't make a whole lot of sense because there's just not a lot to talk about. And the more I pulled on things that I want to be watching in this first preseason game, the more I realized there are a lot of things to be watching and, and to be looking at. So consider this a sort of uh, both it's a two-pronged goal here. First, we want to talk about things that we're actually going to be looking at in this preseason game. And then we want to use this to kind of level set for the entirety of the preseason. We've got three games coming up. What are we looking for? Is there Are there any overall trends that we can pull on as we get ready to, to watch some games and, and hopefully figure out something that is noteworthy from any of them? So, Let's get started there. I want to go position by position on both offense and defense and talk about some things that I'm going to be watching in this first preseason game and then throughout the rest of the preseason. On offense, everything starts with quarterback. Two things that I'm really looking at here. First, how does Jordan Love handle the operation of the Packers offense here? The Packers say they want to get him a couple series in each of the preseason games. I might push for a little bit more than that, maybe a half in at least one game, let him go for an entire half, build up some rhythm. It would do some sort of sequential play calling to the extent that you really want to reveal anything in the preseason. Let's take a look at what Jordan Love does when he's got some some time to go down in, down out with rough, roughly the same offense from series to series. Can we build on anything and see how he handles things in and out of the huddle, getting plays called, getting people lined up when he has to make adjustments at the line? Because that's going to be a big part of his development as a quarterback is making sure everybody is exactly where he wants him to be. That's an idea we've talked about in the past. Uh, with with every quarterback, there is the offense that exists in the playbook on paper. Then there's the offense that exists on the field. 
the offense that relies on how the quarterback likes things to be run. Where does he want guys to be breaking their routes? The playbook might call for a certain route to break at eight yards. Maybe he wants you to break it at seven yards instead when he's calling the offense. And that's something that people, I think, got on Aaron Rodgers for a little bit too much down the stretch in his Green Bay career. Because really, every elite quarterback is going to to do things that way. The 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 rub with Rodgers is that he'd just been doing things so long that the way that he wanted to do things was very ingrained. And as the list of guys that had played with Rodgers for longer and longer kind of dwindled, it made it harder for other guys to to pick up on the offense a little bit. But at the same token, like that's how it is playing with an elite player. When it comes to a guy who's got four MVPs, if there's a guy, if there's how he wants it run and how you think it should be run, he is right and you are wrong. That's just how it is. Jordan Love is going to grow into things like that as well. So how does he handle those adjustments now that he has the opportunity to do things like that? When he's in charge of getting everybody lined up, how does he handle that? I'm curious to see how that works. Outside of Jordan Love, does anybody else look any good? Do Sean Clifford or Alex Magoo look like guys who can come in for a half or a quarter and a half and rescue a game or finish out a game if uh, if Jordan Love goes down. Kind of the, the worst case scenario, other than a quarterback going down for a long time, is a situation where you're not leading by much, like say four to six points or something like that, less than a touchdown, and your quarterback gets hurt, say like middle of the third quarter or something like that. That's where it really becomes important to have a quarterback who can get you to the finish line in that game. I'm really skeptical of the idea of a long-term backup who's going to come in and save your season over a month or six weeks or eight weeks or longer. But having a guy who can get you to the end of a game, preserving a lead, I think is really about all you're looking for for a backup quarterback. Can Sean Clifford or Alex Magoo be that guy? It's a pretty big question. And how they play in these first couple preseason games will probably determine how seriously Brian Gutekunst and the rest of the front office are looking at the waiver wire for potential veterans who get cut toward the end of training camp. So are either of those guys good enough to get you through a quarter and a half with a lead? That's really, I think, all we're looking at for Clifford and Magoo here. At running back and fullback, I think we've got a couple storylines to monitor here too. The first is who breaks loose from the Goodson-Taylor-Nichols trio. We talked about that a little bit in the last episode with the signing of Nate McCreary. Really, the Packers are looking for one of those three guys, I think, to reach out and grab that number three running back role. Tyler Goodson has done some good things apparently in camp so far. Patrick Taylor has stuck around for a long time after coming out of out of Memphis with an injury. And then uh, Lou Nichols is a draft pick this year. Who is going to break three from those three guys? I'm really putting them, I think, on a tier above Nate McCreary just because of where he's come in at this point. However, um, if he gets up to speed, this position is about as open as as you could ask for at this point in training camp. Who is going to to step up and, and break loose from that trio and what is going to be the thing that really sets them apart? I think for all the talk about Patrick Taylor's utility on special teams, if one of these three guys can show that they have any sort of value on special or on excuse me on offense at all in a way that makes them hard to cut on the 53 it's going to override any sort of special teams contributions that Taylor has because i think you can find guys who can duplicate what Taylor does on special teams easier than you can find a running back who can actually contribute on offense because i think as we've seen Taylor doesn't necessarily bring all that much to the ta- table on offense he'll take exactly what's there and a little more 
Goodson seems a little bit more versatile. Nichols seems very much in the same vein as Taylor. So if, if any of those guys can show a little bit more juice on offense than Taylor does, I think Taylor's special teams contributions aren't going to carry him to the 53. Secondly, in this group, when does Henry Pearson play first? The Packers have officially started something of a fullback renaissance in Green Bay. Josiah DeGuara is officially listed as a fullback. Henry Pearson, at least according to a couple reports, has at times taken first team reps with the Packers in training camp to this point. I'm not putting him on the 53-man roster yet, but if he's getting snaps with the number one offense, say in like the first quarter, I think we got to sit up and start paying a little bit more attention to him potentially making the roster. It might not be that Goodson or Taylor or Nichols really needs to soak up a number three running back role. We might be talking instead about like a number four tight end sneaking into the running backs room effectively. Something along those lines doesn't seem outside the realm of possibility if Henry Pearson starts getting some real serious looks in preseason games. At wide receiver, I don't know if there's a whole lot to look at here, but who plays and when is going to matter a lot. The when in particular. Let's take Malik Heath, for instance. He's had quite a few headlines in training camp so far. People have really noticed what he's done. And that is not entirely a surprise. I think if you are a listener to this podcast, we were pretty high on him in the undrafted free agent roundup. He was pretty productive in college. He's got you know, a good skill set, pretty good athlete overall. But there is a pretty significant asterisk here too, because for all the good stuff that have hap- has happened in training camp, it's not always clear the circumstances in which guys are making those plays. He seems like the sort of player who, as of right now, could probably dominate third and fourth string players. But if that's all he can do, it's going to be a short narrative for Malik Heath here in training camp because there's a whole bunch of guys out there who can dominate third and fourth string defensive backs. If that's all you can do, and if you're not an overwhelming athlete, and I don't think Heath really is, he's pretty marginal in terms of overall athleticism, the Packers are probably going to look elsewhere. But if he gets into the game fairly early and he's still making plays when he's playing against a a number one and number two defense, well, maybe you need to have a little bit of a different conversation here because he has one thing that guys like Bo Melton can't really match, and that's elite size. Melton may be fast, but Heath is big. And when it comes to size versus speed, Matt LaFleur has shown a pretty pronounced preference to this point in his NFL career. Say that three times fast, pretty pronounced preference. There's a lot of P's in there. But if it comes down to a toss-up between, say, Bo Melton and Malik Heath, and they're playing about the same against the same level of competition, well, then you start to have to make some hard choices there. Personally, I would urge Lafleur to maybe move off a little bit of his big goon receiver preference, because I think you can win more matchups with guys that can just run away from people than guys that are going to be those big physical possession receiver types. I mean, for all of the great stuff that he did just as a big receiver, Alan Lazard also had some pretty decent top-end speed. Sure, it might have taken a, taken him a little while to ramp up to that, but I don't think Heath is quite there. Or, or maybe it, it's probably fairly close, but I think it, it, speed is still going to matter a lot, and Heath doesn't seem like he has it. Maybe take a second look at those preferences is all I'm saying, Matt LaFleur. Tight end. 
Again, not a ton to watch here because we have a pretty good idea of what the top end of the depth chart is going to look like. You're going to have Luke Musgrave getting most of the reps. Tyler Davis is probably going to be your wide tight end until uh, Tucker Craft comes along. And once Craft gets his feet under him, he'll probably take over that role for Tyler Davis. Beyond that, the big question here and something I'm going to be watching is whether any of the non-big names can separate, literally and metaphorically. Literally, can they separate physically when they're playing against uh, a, a defense that is not the Green Bay Packers. And metaphorically, can they build the sort of narrative momentum where when the coaches and, and front office are making their final decisions about the 53, they have a story that they can tell. Some sort of marketing narrative to say, okay, we like that he does this. We like that he did this against this team. And you can really see this aspect of his game in, in these plays that he made here and there. That's the sort of thing that you need to make the roster. And it seems like there are some down roster opportunities available. When I was looking at my 53-man prediction, really you've got three tight ends and Josiah DeGuara with a pretty good shot at the roster. How many tight ends do the Packers keep here? If they keep four tight ends, and if you're not counting Josiah DeGuara as a tight end anymore, that would mean there's one spot on the 53 probably available. For certain, there's going to be a spot on the practice squad. The practice squad is going to need at least one tight end. So who ends up filling that role? My money would be on Austin Allen, but that's just because of my preference for enormous fast tight ends. And Austin Allen, it seems like, is at least some version of that. If nothing else, he is enormous. He's very, very tall. Speaking of big guys, on the offensive line, my first point that I'm watching is the big tackle competition. The Packers have four very large tackles and Yash Nyman. I'm not really even counting him in that because he's going to make the roster. But they've got four big tackles that they're looking at here. Rashid Walker, Caleb Jones, Luke Tenuta, and Kadeem Telford. On top of them just being fascinating to me because they're a bunch of big guys that seem to fall in basically the same sort of mold that the Packers have acquired over the past couple of years, the tackle developmental pipeline is very important. Tackles are the most important offensive linemen. And it's important for the Packers to be investing in their tackles because they've got two starters, or if you don't count Yash Nyman as a starter, I guess he's not technically a starter right now, but two of their top three offensive tackles are going to be in a bit of a, well, they're going to be in limbo next spring. David Bakhtiari's cap number goes way up, so the Packers are going to have to make a decision there, and Yash Nyman is going to be a free agent. You need to start developing some tackles now. Right now, these are the tackles that the Packers have in the pipeline, so somebody has got to develop from this group if the Packers don't want to end up spending a high draft pick on tackle next year, which may not be a bad idea anyway, considering they're going to have two first-round picks. In any case, who is going to break loose from this group? Is any of them going to break loose? My money right now would be on Rasheed Walker, but it's hard to count out any of them considering the physical attributes that they all have. Finally, on the offensive line, before we switch over to defense, Sean Ryan. What is he? The press clippings coming out of training camp have been fairly promising. How does he shake out in actual games? It sounds like he has grown up quite a bit since his suspension last year, really focused up, and he's ready to get his NFL career on track, which would be great for a third-round pick heading into his second year. Where does he fit into this Packers offensive line? How does he look in some some actual games? Well, I say actual games, but preseason games, you understand what I mean. Does he look better than he did last year? And does he get any reps at a place other than guard? We'll see. And uh, that's something that we're going to be watching both in this preseason game and the ones to come. Before we flip over to defense, I want to give you a reminder about both our Patreon and our Substack, patreon.com slash thepowersweep and thepowersweep.substack.com. Both of those are great opportunities to support the Power Sweep financially. They help us 
uh, keep this entire operation ad-free. They help us pay for the things that we need to pay for to run this show. And they're an opportunity for you to, to support us, to get a little bonus content, and to join a community of fans from all over the world who like talking about the Packers just as much as you do. We've got a, a great series, I think, on both of those platforms recently about um, what processes we would go through if we bought an actual NFL team. So say I suddenly became a billionaire, a multi-billionaire, and wanted to buy an NFL team. Who would we buy? Would we change the name and uniforms and all of that? And then how would we go about starting building a a football organization? Who would we hire? Had a lot of fun putting that together. Uh, Maybe you will enjoy that too. So that's some bonus content for you if you are a Patreon or Substack supporter. We're also starting a new series this week on the best and worst uniform looks in every division in the NFL. So we're starting naturally with the NFC North and working our way from there. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's fun to uh, to dive into that sort of thing and spark some discussion behind the scenes. So if that sort of thing is of interest to you, head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep or thepowersweep.substack.com and start your subscription there today. On defense, the watch list is a little bit different, and it kind of culminates here, I think, in as we'll look at our overall priorities at the end, it culminates in, in something I think is an interesting trend. On the defensive line, I'm interested to see second-year Devontae Wyatt, just to see if he finally gets an opportunity to live up to the billing as a first-round pick. And then I want to see the two rookies this year. I'm intrigued by Colby Wooden and Carl Brooks. I'm intrigued but skeptical, let's put it that way. And we'll see how things shake out as they get a chance to play against other NFL talent this year. They're both unusual in their own way, body type-wise, for the positions that they're going to be playing. Wooden in that he's fairly undersized for defensive line. Brooks in that he fits the defensive line mold, but really didn't play there a ton in college. How does how do both of those things break in the NFL? How do those things play out? I don't know. And I'm interested to get a real good look at it against a, an opposing NFL offensive line starting this weekend. On the edge... Uh, the edge rusher position seems pretty locked up. I don't really know what to say here as far as their contributions on defense. There may be some down roster edge rushers who, who want to contribute on special teams. But with Rashawn Gary back from the physically unable to perform list, I'd say you're pretty close to five locks here. Rashawn Gary is making this roster for sure. Preston Smith is making this roster for sure. Lucas Van Ness is making it. J.J. Nigbari is making it. Really, the only guy of the top five who seems vulnerable at all is Justin Hollins. And I think someone would have to really show out in a big way to take Justin Hollins' roster spot. So I don't really even know what I'm looking for here. You might pay attention to anybody who's contributing on special teams. But Rich Bisaccia seems less interested in edge rusher special teams contributors than his predecessors have been. So I take that however you like it. I don't really know what to look for at edge. We'll just kind of put that one on the shelf for right now. At inside linebacker, can Tariq Carpenter do it in a game? The safety to linebacker position switch seems to be going quite well for Tariq Carpenter so far, at least based on what we've heard at a training camp to this point and his splashy performance on family night. Can he do it in an actual game? It seems like he's got a chance to be what Oren Burks was supposed to be, so can he actually become the kind of safety linebacker tweener that it seems like the Packers have been looking back, looking at for, shoot, a decade now since Morgan Burnett was playing, you know, hybrid safety linebacker stuff. As a related question, can anybody actually figure out a way to make this hybrid linebacker thing work in the NFL on a consistent basis? It still seems like mostly a novelty at this point. 
but people still seem to try to be making it happen. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And given the evidence in Green Bay, both with, you know, the Josh Jones Nitro package, just playing, uh, you know, Dom Capers playing safeties as a quasi, you know, nickel linebacker type thing. Now Tariq Carpenter playing um, linebacker after coming out as a safety, playing a lot of safety in college. Can somebody actually make it work? I kind of think they're going to have to because it seems the way that the, the NFL is going, we're heading toward a version of this league where six defensive backs is going to be a regular thing. It it just seems to be the the future. And playing three safeties is going to be a part of that at, at some level. And that third safety is going to have to be some kind of linebackery sort of guy, some guy who can line up in the box and not look silly fitting the run, line up in the slot and not look silly covering a tight end, and have some speed to get down the field. Just saying that out loud, it seems like such a tall order that it's no wonder that nobody has really figured it out. But just given the defensive trends, it seems like somebody's going to have to at some point. They've got to figure out a way to make this work given the the trends of the league. Maybe it just so happens to be the Green Bay Packers with Tariq Carpenter. You never know, but I'm going to be watching Carpenter in this preseason just to see. At corner, two words, Carrington Valentine. Day three pick, lots of athleticism. There were some questions about how he could play at the NFL level. Again, all the clippings coming out of camp so far would suggest that he is making the transition to the NFL quite well. Maybe a large part of it is just the number that he's wearing. Sporting number 37, like Sam Shields, it seems like maybe he's just, you know, inhabiting that, you know, athletic, long outside corner mentality quite well, and he's growing into that role in a hurry. Maybe the Packers just have some some holes in the secondary, and a lot of them happen to be at corner, so he's just stepping in to the most readily available spot. I don't know, but it seems like he's got a huge opportunity here, given that behind Jair Alexander and Rasul Douglas, there's not a lot there on the outside. You know, Keyshawn Nixon is playing in the slot, but on the outside, as we wait for Eric Stokes to come back, it seems like things are wide open. Carrington Valentine might be the guy to step up and fill it. Speaking of stepping up, at safety, if I'm the Packers coaching staff, I'm feeling really, really good and really, really uncertain at the same time. Really good because you're kind of in the ideal spot as a coach other than just having the position flat out settled. If you're going to, ideally you have two good safeties and you're just saying here is safety one and here is safety two and beyond that we'll figure it out. You're heading into the into the season saying we feel really good about safety. Aside from that, the next best thing is probably just having a bunch of guys because sooner or later you throw them all in a room, say, figure it out. One of you is going to be the starter. Who wants it the most? The problem is going to solve itself in theory. You're going to have somebody step up and show you that he belongs in the role more than anybody else. That's the hope at least. Because the flip side of that is what if nobody ever really distinguishes themselves? Then you're right back where you were, say, heading into the NFL draft. You've got nothing. You had nothing then. You've still got nothing now. And now there's an opposing offense coming your way in three weeks that knows just as well as you do that you don't have your safety position settled, and they are going to be scheming up to take advantage of that. Now, looking at the guys the Packers have in camp, opposing offenses may be doing that anyway. 
But as a coaching staff right now, you've at least got to feel pretty good about the idea that you've got guys fighting it out. You're hoping that somebody is distinguishing himself. And really, I think that's what I'm going to be watching for. Who is going to step up and be the guy next to Darnell Savage? And really, that makes Darnell Savage sound better than he probably is at this point. But at least, given his contract and given his his draft pedigree, you feel pretty good about the idea that he's got a roster spot locked up. So if Savage is going to be out there, we got to figure out who we're going to put next to him. That gives us one spot open. Who's it going to be? Well, they've got a bunch of guys. They've got Jonathan Owens. They've got Traverius Moore. They've got Rudy Ford. They've even got Anthony Johnson. Who's it going to be? We don't know. But that's part of figuring things out in the preseason here. Who is going to step up and grab it? We'll have to watch and see in the preseason here. Now, to put a bow on it, if I had to prioritize, say, four things that I'm going to be watching for sure, which is coincidental because those are the four things that I I wrote down, the four areas that I'd be watching in this first preseason game are as follows. Quarterback, defensive line, cornerback, and safety. And I think looking at that group, it's interesting that thinking about what I want to see most, most of my priorities lie on the defense. On paper, which is only useful for so much because football is not played on paper. But on paper, that's the unit that should be further along. The Packers have dumped a ton of draft picks, a ton of money. They've stuck with this defensive coordinator now for a third year. They should be further along and things should be settled. But And, and I think most of, mostly that is true. You look at the top end of the depth chart is basically where we were last year. But also, I feel like there are more interesting developmental questions there right now, given that there are so many, there's like a dude at every position. On the defensive line, you've got Kenny Clark. Uh, At edge rusher, you've got Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary. At linebacker, you've got Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker. Cornerback, obviously, uh, Jair Alexander and Rasul Douglas. Safety, Darnell Savage. You've got at least a leader at every position. Who is going to step up in and take the roles that are not those guys is interesting to me. And I think it's more interesting than on offense because everything feels so wide open at receiver, at tight end, uh, at quarterback even. Things feel so open that you're kind of just waiting to see what happens. There's really no narrative there yet because everything has to sort itself out. On defense, somehow you end up with more questions, at least for me, just because there are also some more known quantities. And known quantities are, are a great thing to have because you can build on them. So maybe it's because the Packers seem to be tweaking things more on defense and you can get more interesting about the, the, the tweaks than the broad strokes uh, that I'm, I'm more interested in the defense right now. Maybe it's just that because of how my brain works and how I watch football, I end up having more questions on defense than on offense. That could be too. But I think it does say something about this Packers roster that I do have more questions on the defensive side of the ball, at least more specific questions. Maybe the questions on offense are just that much bigger. How does this wide receiver room sort out? What does the tight end group actually do on the field? That's a pretty big one, I suppose. Is Jordan Love any good? I guess that's a pretty big one too. But those are questions I think we've known about for a while. Defense, seeing how all this sorts out in year three of Joe Barry, I think has a chance to be really interesting in its own right. Maybe especially because as Mark Murphy says, and I tend to agree with him, the defense is probably going to have to carry the show here in the early part of the season. That's the way things go when you're really young on offense. Maybe that fills you with some fear. Maybe it should, but I think that's the reality in Green Bay. 
In any case, we're going to get a good idea what it looks like here in the relatively near future. I'm excited. Hope you're excited too. As I've said previously, the long dark of the offseason is over, and we're going to start seeing some stuff resembling actual football here in the very near future. In the meantime, that's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.